Nonetheless, I appreciate that last stanza. Thank you for leading that, Kenny. And if you would, open your Bibles this morning to John, the Gospel of John. We'll be looking at a few verses there. The next paragraph, John chapter 12, verses or verses 20 through 26. And God's Word reads, Now there were some Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. These then came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip came and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it. He who hates his life in this world and will keep it to eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Lord, we ask a blessing upon the reading of your word. And Father, we know that uh, it is inspired, that it has been purposefully handed down to us these 2,000 years later. And not uh, Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you illuminate our minds? Would you illuminate this text for us that we know uh, how to understand it and also how to apply it uh, this morning? Pray in, the, pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. We wish to see Jesus. Changes and transitions do not come easy. There's one thing we all want in life. It is stability. Some form of normalcy. Predictability in life brings a sense of peace. Uncertainty brings nervousness and anxiety. The stock markets are much the same. Good, bad, or ugly. What the markets want is predictability. Jesus could be seen as not a very good investment. Because with Jesus often does come uncertainty. What we want out of life, what drives much of what we do, is to be comfortable. Comfortable in the years of raising our family and then working towards having a comfortable retirement. But Jesus doesn't care so much about our comfort as He does about our conformability. We want to be comfortable, and Jesus wants us to be conformable. We want or, or we are not to be, as Romans 12, 2 tells us, we are not to be conformed to this world, but we are to be conformed to the image of His Son, Romans 8, 29. This has always been the battle, hasn't it? Since the beginning of time, this has always been the battle of life, to be conformed to the image of the Son. How are we to be conformed? We are conformed by His Word. How are we conformed? We're conformed by His Word. Many want to see Jesus. Many want to confess Jesus, and many do confess Jesus. But they do not want to be conformed by Jesus. Rather, they want Jesus to be conformed to them. Rather, I want Jesus to be conformed to me. 
right? I want, I want, I want to know Jesus. I want to have a close relationship to Jesus, but I want Jesus to conform his wishes, his needs to, to my wishes and, and, and my needs. That's where the battle lies, is it not? And here in our text, we see a transition. A change is about to take place. And we could say that the Gentiles' hour has now come. You see it in verse, in verse 20 of our text today. It tells us that now there were some Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. And again, just to refresh your memory, uh, I'm sure you haven't forgotten it, but nonetheless, uh, this is now the Passover week and Jesus is going up to Passover. And as they're going, as they're transitioning from their, their place of, of origin, their place of home, two and a half million people or so are making their way to Jerusalem. And not just Jewish people, the text is telling us here today, but also Greeks. In other words, we could say also Gentiles or non-Jewish people, which is typically just referred to as Gentiles. And so the Gentiles are also going up to the Passover. And, and who were these Gentile people? Some say, well, they were from the diaspora, those who were mixed in with the Jewish people and those who had transitioned into Judaism, those who had transitioned into uh, uh, the way of the, the Jewish life. Um, but I'm not so sure. I think I think these were Jewish people that were just or, or, or Gentile people that were just caught up in the moment also. And they were the curiosity was there and they were were going up to Jerusalem and they, they come to Philip and they say, hey, Philip, we want to see Jesus. Now, I wonder why did they go to Philip? Now, we don't know. And so it's my speculation, but. Uh, it, it appears as though they might have gone to Philip simply because Philip is a Gentile name. Philip is not a Jewish name. And so they would have gone to Philip. And the interesting thing is, the text tells us, and Philip went to Andrew and said, Andrew, here came some of these Gentile people and they've come to us and they want to, and they come to me and they want to see Jesus. What should I do? The text doesn't say that Philip asked Andrew, what should I do? But that's what we must take from it, right? And so Andrew and Philip, both of them are Gentile. Gentile names, not Jewish names. And so many, many want to speculate that that's why these Greeks went to talk to them first, because of their, their names. Now, why would Andrew and Philip, I wonder, why would they almost convene together and go to Jesus then? Well, I want to remind you of Matthew chapter 10, verse 5, that these 12 that Jesus sent out after giving them instructions and Jesus told them, do not go into the way of the Gentiles. Don't go to the Gentile people when Jesus sent them out. So surely that was in their mind. Here come some Gentile people wanting to see Jesus. Oh, but wait a minute. Jesus said, don't go to the Gentile people. What should we do? We also have the story of the Canaanite woman whose, whose daughter was demon possessed. And as she, as she came and wanted Jesus to cast out the demon from her, her daughter, Jesus said this. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I, I didn't come here for anything other than the Jewish people. And so some would like to speculate, and I would be among those who say that Andrew and that Philip were probably a bit hesitant to come to Jesus with this request from the Gentile people because Jesus had made it clear that he has come for the Jews. But the text also makes it clear that the Jews have rejected Jesus. Paul discovered this also as he himself was, was ministering around the community. 
Acts chapter 13 and verse 44, it says that it was necessary, Paul is telling them, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. Since you repudiate it and judge yourself unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are now turning to the Gentiles. Over and over, we see this transition where originally the message was only for God's chosen people, only for the Jewish people. And we're also told throughout the text, over and over and over again, that God's chosen people rejected Jesus. And so then it transitioned to the Gentiles. It transitioned over to the Jew or to non-Jewish people also. Verse 21, it says that we wish to see Jesus. And that's what I've titled this as. We wish to see Jesus. And I want to focus in on that just here a little bit this morning. Um, that they came to Philip and Andrew, and their desire was to see Jesus. We don't know, because the text doesn't tell us, if that meeting ever occurred. We don't know. Obviously, it wasn't that important for John to record that for us, but it is important that he recorded that they wished to see Jesus. Over and over and over again, we are told in the Gospel of John and elsewhere um, that the Jews wished, were constantly asking, the self-righteous religious people were constantly asking over and over and over again for signs and wonders. Show us signs and wonders. That's all they, they were so fixated on signs and wonders, and, they, and therefore they rejected Jesus because of it. In John chapter 4, verse 48, Jesus told them, said, listen, unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. That is still so very true today, is it not, for us? How many times have you prayed? And not as an accusation. How many times have I prayed? God, just, 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 just reveal yourself to me. Just, just help me to understand. Am I supposed to make this next step? Am I supposed to, 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 to buy the next house? Speaking of homes, am I supposed to take this new job? Am I supposed to go visit my parents for Thanksgiving? My daughters, yes, you are, uh, nonetheless. Um, right? We, we pray, Lord, reveal it to me. We still desire these signs and wonders, if you want to take it that far, that we ask God to do these great things in our life and through our life. And those aren't necessarily bad things. But if we're just fixated upon signs and wonders, we will miss Jesus as these people did here today. But why did the Gentiles wish to see Jesus? See, we don't know that the meeting ever occurred, but we are left with the question, well, well why did they want to see Jesus? Well, 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 maybe simply because they were curious. I, I think that's probably what it was. I mean, they heard all about Jesus. They, they heard the signs and the wonders that Jesus certainly has done. And they certainly heard that Jesus just got done raising Lazarus from the grave. Why wouldn't you want to see this person who did it? And so I think that, that much of it was uh, uh, just out of curiosity for the Gentile, Gentile people. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22, it tells us that, that for indeed Jews ask for signs and wonders. And Greeks, they, or the Gentiles, they search or they seek for wisdom. Paul says we preach Christ crucified to the Jews. That's a stumbling block. And, and to Greeks, it's just foolishness, Right? And so I'm not so sure uh, that the Gentiles necessarily believed Jesus. 
Rather, they were seekers of wisdom, and maybe they wanted, wanted to back up this story about Lazarus being, being raised from the dead. We, we don't know. These are speculations that we can make. But the Jewish people and the Greek people, both of them many times, often refused Jesus and often rejected Jesus. That, that we do know. But as this transition now happens, and as we see the Gentile hour has come because of the Jewish people that rejected Jesus, the Gentiles, for most of us, for us, we've been grafted in because they have rejected Jesus. And that's the transition that is happening. And we're going to see throughout the biblical narrative as we go on that the ministry won't just strictly be to Jews anymore, but will now be to, to all peoples. But we'll get to that a little further on. But this is today, this is the transition that is now happening with these Greeks coming and asking, we wish to see Jesus. And we also see in verse 23, uh, it says that, that in Jesus answering them, uh, them is probably answering to Philip and to Andrew, but, but, but it could have been to the, Jew, to, to the Greeks also. But Jesus answering them saying, the hour has come. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. The hour, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, but also, I believe, the hour has come now for, for the Greeks that we have just, just talked about. But, but nine times in John's Gospel, we have Jesus associated with hour as a time, hour as a, as a transition that is about to happen. The first three, it's in the negative. My hour has not yet come. For instance, if you remember the first miracle of Jesus turning the, the water into wine, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, saying, Jesus, they don't have any wine. They're out of wine. And Jesus says, what am I supposed to do? My hour has not yet come. That is the first instance. We also have it, though, in John chapter 7, verse 30, John chapter 8, verse 20. I'll let you look those up for yourself. But, but as the people were trying to uh, uh, get Jesus, as people wanted to, to throw him in jail or, or kill him, the text tells us to seize him, they couldn't. Why? Because his hour had not yet come. And see, now today, Jesus says, now my hour has come in verse 23. His hour has now come. I just want to read another, another text for you. Just It'll be for next Sunday, but nonetheless, verse 27. And Jesus says, now my, out, now my soul has become troubled. What shall I say, Father? Save me from this hour? But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. In his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, verse 1, Jesus starts out his prayer with this acknowledgement, Father. The hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. Now the transition is happening. Up to this time, this hour had not come, but now his hour has, has come. But, but what the people heard, so I don't want to step back just a little bit because he says, glorify your Son, verse 23, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be, to be glorified. This Son of Man, it comes from Daniel chapter 7. In Daniel chapter 7, in fact, I have a little, let me just read it for you. In Daniel chapter 7, because they would have been very familiar with this text, Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, where Daniel prophesied where the Son of Man is presented, and it says this, I kept looking, Daniel says, I kept looking into the night visions, and behold, 
with the clouds of heaven, one like the Son of Man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of the Days, presumed to be God. He came up to the Ancient of Days and presented himself before him. And to him he was given, to him God gave dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, men of every language might serve him. His dominion is everlasting, which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. So when Jesus is proclaiming that the Son of Man, the hour has now come, what they're thinking is now that prophecy is going to be fulfilled. And they're thinking this is what Jesus is referring to. Remember, John got things out of order just a little bit because John isn't necessarily concerned with the chronological order as he is with telling the story. And so remember, quite a few chapters back where John had Jesus cleanse the temple. Well, that actually happened now. That actually happened in this chapter. That actually happened in this trip to, to the Passover. And so here are the people. They observed Jesus cleaning out the temple, driving those people out, saying, my father's house is what? It's a house of prayer, not a house of thieves. They seen Jesus get the self-righteous religious people running out the doors. And then he proclaims the son of man, the hour has now come. This is what they're thinking. They're thinking that this that was prophesied in Daniel is about to happen. And so, of course, there was a lot of excitement there that they had. I mean, what a, what a wonderful moment. What a wonderful time for the Jewish people as they thought about this fulfillment of the Messiah now coming. And indeed, the Messiah has come, but just not in the way that they expected it. And so Jesus says, the hour has come for the Son of Man, referring to the prophecy of Daniel chapter 7, to be glorified. But again, I want to pause for just a little bit, um, uh, because how is Jesus glorified? H how is Jesus glorified, or who glorifies Jesus? Right? So, so how, here comes Jesus into Jerusalem. He's going to be put to death. And we know that he took our place, that he's our replacement, right? Substitutionary atonement. We know that he's taken our place instead of his stead. But I, but I want to introduce um, a, a word for you. Um, it's an important theological term. Just to introduce it here, uh, because we need to think rightly about these things. It's called the aseity. So the, it's the aseity of Christ. What is meant by that? Well, it's a compound word. It just means uh, out of the first part. The second part would be self. And so you put them together, it's just out of self. Why am I telling you that? Because I'm telling you that because often we think that, 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 that we are the ones who ascribe glory to God. And, and we, we do. We do, but we must understand the aseity of Christ, that he is self-sufficient. That, that, that he is self-existent, that he is self-satisfying, that, that he is self-giving, that he is self-exalting. There is nothing that we bring to Christ that Christ is lacking, right? So we, 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 must, we must understand we're not doing God a favor because God, Christ does not need us to glorify him, himself. And so, so this is what he's saying here today. He's saying, you know, God does not need us to glorify him. He is self-glorifying. He's self-exalting. 
And so, so as he says here today, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be, to be glorified. This is a self-glorification by his obedience to, to the Father. Isaiah chapter 46 verse 9 says that I am God. I, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me. That's a bit arrogant, isn't it? I mean, I mean, just think about that. Here's this person that says, I am God. There is no other. I am God, and there is no one like me. I mean, wow, who can say such a thing? John chapter 8, verse 58. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. John chapter 13. Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God has glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, referring to Jesus, God will also glorify Jesus in himself and will glorify Jesus immediately. I mean, there's a lot of cross glorification happening. There is a not. And as we think about the Trinity, as we think about the triune God, one God glorifying, Jesus is glorified in him, in himself. In John chapter 17, verse 1, the verse I already read, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Glorify the Son, that the Son may glorify you. Right? I mean, God, Jesus, Holy Spirit is all one God. How do we get our minds wrapped around that? Well, we really can't. How do you get your minds wrapped around the Trinity? But we must understand so that we think rightly. That we think rightly. See, in verse 24, continue on through the text. Um, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. That There are some, some people who would like to say, well, that Jesus went through this process. And this is my point, that Jesus went through this process so that he wouldn't remain alone. They're taking this as meaning that Jesus would have spent all eternity by himself if he would have not gone through with giving himself sacrificially for you and I so that you and I can spend eternity with him. Listen, Jesus did not die so he would have company in heaven. Jesus died for obedience to the Father. And even if that would be a correct interpretation of this verse, even if Jesus would have spent all eternity by himself, he would have been okay with that, right? Because he is self-exalting. He is self-satisfied. It's the aseity of Christ. There's nothing that we add to Christ. We're not doing God any favors. We must keep our minds around that. And in verse 25, as we continue with putting that part kind of back here in your mind, and as we continue to move forward, so verse 25, we see this great paradox, right? We see this, this great paradox where it says that he who loves his life Loses it. Okay? So, so love your life, you're going to lose it. Verse 20, verse 25, second half of it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it to eternal life. It's the great paradox. What's he saying? Well, you love your life, you're going to lose it. You're seeking your comfort instead of conformability, you're going to lose it. If you hate your life now, you're actually going to keep it for eternity. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. All four of the Gospels, the three synoptics, and also John, all mention this exact same account. Luke chapter 14, verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife, children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, 
He cannot be my disciple. Many have wrestled over what does Jesus mean? Does Jesus really assume that we're supposed to hate our father, our mother, our brother, our sister, our own life? Well, no. She said, if we love life, if we put our mother, our father, our brother, our wife, our husband, our children in front of God, we cannot be his disciple. That's all he's saying. Of course, he's not saying we're supposed to hate them. But if we put anything ahead of Christ, if we, if we love this life so much that it gets in our way of following Christ, we will lose it. Unless the grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies. You know, I had this picture this week as I'm studying through this and really not quite knowing where I was going to go with it, but I had this image, this picture of this, this grain of wheat sitting off in the corner of a shed, and there it is, all alone. Huh. I mean, how sad is that? Yeah, I know it's a grain of wheat. I'm trying not to humanize the grain of wheat, but, but there it is. And yet if the wheat would only go out into the dirt and bury itself and die, the friends it would have. Isn't that a weird way of thinking? But in essence, that's what Jesus is saying. Unless you and I give up our life for Christ and say, God, I fully trust you. I fully surrender to you. I, this doesn't make any sense, but, but I know by dying to self that actually my life will be so much more fulfilled. So much more fulfilled. So to confess Christ Verse 26 is to follow Christ. To profess Christ is to follow Christ. I can't see anyone's heart and neither can you see anyone's heart. But over and over we see these people that they name the name of Jesus, but their life does not reflect what the text teaches. I, I can't judge anyone, but it doesn't seem to add up. It seems as though we want Jesus, but we want Jesus to conform to our life instead of us conforming to the life of Jesus. It doesn't work that way. Do you trust God with your grain of wheat? Do you trust God to die to self? Serve Jesus. This is the deal, right? Serve Jesus. God will honor you. Serve Jesus. God will honor you. But I... Let me make that first person. But I want to serve me. And I want God to honor me for it. It just doesn't work that way. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either he will love the one or hate the other. Or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in wealth. Whatever that wealth is. Maybe it is literally money. Maybe there's other things in life. I mean, wealth could be whatever you put before God. You cannot serve, serve both. We must die to self. Uh, but to, to bring this here to a close, I, I want to leave you with two promises that we have in verse 26. As we think about this, um, the, these two promises, right? Um, what's the payout? I mean, we all want a payout. He gives it to us right here. First, he tells us that, that those, uh, those who serve Christ will be with Christ. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Right? Okay. So if you're going to name me, you must actually follow me. And in exchange, where I am, there my servant will be also. I mean, that's the promise that we get from God. Yes, he's asking 
a lot from us, maybe, if we want to put in those words, but as humans, to actually die to self, that's asking a lot. But he says, no, no, no. But actually, if you just do, you'll be with me. Paul wrestled with this in Philippians. I didn't know you could wrestle with it, but I always find this fascinating with Paul where he says that in, first, in Philippians 1, 23. He says, I desire to part to be with Christ, for that is, that is way better. <laughs> but why? Because of this promise that Jesus gives us in verse 26. That I, if you serve me, you will be where I am. In John chapter 14, it says, Do not let your heart be troubled. It's a verse very familiar to us. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. That's the first promise that we're seeing in verse 26. If we just surrender, if we just die to self and follow Christ, we will be with Christ. The second is those who serve Christ will be given honor by the Father, will be given honor by God. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. See, this is what God told to Samuel, right? In 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30, when, or I should say to Eli, in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30, God was speaking to Eli. When Eli had this little problem with his sons, you can read the account for yourself there in 1 Samuel chapter 2. But God told Eli, those who honor me, I will honor. And the converse was also true. Those who do not honor me as his sons did not, God will not honor them. Those who honor me, I will honor. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. It is written, things which eyes have not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. So yes, yes, at times it can be seen difficult to die to self, but these are the two promises. This is the payout. Follow Christ, Christ will be us. Follow Christ, God the Father will honor us. Isn't that what we want in life? Yes, yes, the paradox is, though, we must die to self to receive that. But the payout is there. Next Sunday, as we prepare for communion, we'll have the Lord's Supper next Sunday. The Lord's table will come to it next Sunday. Uh, this is the payout, right? Reflect upon that as we think about Jesus' death. So we have this, this possibility. And so I pray that those two, two promises in verse 26 can bring you some, some comfort this week. I pray. Um, Lord, I just, Lord, we just give these things to you. Father, sometimes we can just feel so anxious. Sometimes we can just feel, feel so at, not at peace. We seem to need to battle through difficult times. And maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but we just need to battle through difficult situations, battle through times of uncomfort. Lord, help us just to, to die to self. Help us just to lay it down. By, by laying it down, the peace we desire will come. And so I pray, Lord, as we go through today and go through this week, that we have that picture of that grain of wheat dying 
rotting into the ground. And yet out of that, out of that comes the peace, comes the hope, comes the life, comes the stability that we all desire. I thank you for modeling that for us. Pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.